0: Welcome back to Bible time, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. We're in for some exciting um, times here in the book of Thessalonians as we study the end times. We're going to have several more verses that directly relate to the end times. We'll wrap up the book of First Thessalonians by the grace of God and start 2 Thessalonians, which... Goes right into the day of the Lord, and it goes into the um, Jacob's trouble, time of Jacob's trouble, known as the Great Tribulation. Now, here in First Thessalonians five one, he's he's opening the fifth chapter, which by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, um, the Apostle Paul is writing here with Sylvanus and Timotheus. It's important to remember that this whole letter is a whole letter; it's not just a. It wasn't written as chapters, in other words, it was written as a solid letter, one chunk, um, the chapter breaks came in later and are very useful. I think it's a wise thing to leave them alone. Don't go tampering with the t- chapter breaks and verse breaks and all that in the Bible. God knows what He's doing, and I would and I think it's healthy to have a reverent fear of God and not mess with His Word, even in areas where um, we just have traditional chapter breaks and stuff like that. But I would also encourage you not to take the chapter breaks as breaks in theology, but but rather to take them as points of reference to help you find your place and keep reading the Bible. There's a lot of places in the Bible that will not make sense if you read one chapter a day, and you need to read a whole lot more than that and consume the Word of God in order to get the sense of the scriptures. So here in chapter four, it says, um, verse 15 for this, we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them, which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Our last lesson, we talked about the comfort that God wants us to have in the end times, that God wants you to understand end times prophecies in the Bible, and God has made it attainable. God has made it something that can be understood. God wants you to understand his Bible. It's the will of God for you to understand. The Bible says that Jesus took his disciples and then opened he their understanding so that they could understand the scriptures. God is able to teach you. The Bible says, says that he has made the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So stop looking to the wise men of this world for understanding of the word of God and instead go in your simplicity, go in your ignorance, go in your need, go in your lack of understanding and ask God for wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. But it also says, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You get your heart right with God, get your life right with God, get your direction right with God, become a disciple of Jesus Christ, read your Bible, heed it, obey it, do what it says, ask God for wisdom. And then watch God unlock and open mysteries for you that the world's greatest scholars have been stumped on for thousands of years. Because God will take the foolish things to confound the wise. Not many wise, not many mighty are called. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And you are if And you, if you're like me, you qualify foolish, base, ignorant, small, despised, backwards, sinful in nature. But if you'll get right with God, repent of your sins, repent of your self-righteousness, repent of your own ideas, lay down your denominational acts that you have to grind, and get out the old-fashioned Bible, the old Word of God, translated directly from the original text into English in the authorized version, King James Bible, revised seven times up into the 1870s in the Scrivener's edition. Just get the old-fashioned Bible without all the extras, the bells, the whistles, the chopped out sections, and the commentaries. Read it, and trust God, and ask Him to teach you He will teach you, and you will learn things, and you will grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. Here in chapter 5, verse 1, he's talking to this baby church, this fledgling church, this jumpstart church, this church born in trouble, a church that after three Sabbath days of reasoning, Paul had to leave and send back the preacher boy, Timotheus, at possibly as young as the age of 15 or 16 years of age, to go back and establish this church in the faith. (coughs) And here this church, this baby church, he writes to them in chapter five and verse one, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Ye have no need that I write unto you. He's saying you already know. You know the times and the seasons. Go to First Chronicles 12 and verse 32. We're gonna see some guys here that know the times and the seasons and what Israel ought to do. This is at the time of the coronation of David. And we're coming to a time and a place in history where our David, Jesus Christ the righteous, is coming back to be crowned and there are some people who are going to be ready and there are others who are not. And I'll tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of theologians and scholastic theologians in the universities and the seminaries who are going to oppose Jesus Christ because they will not believe the Bible. They have recreated eschatology. They have recreated their own personal doctrines. They have private interpretations of the Word of God and they're going to stand against our risen, resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, hand in hand with the Antichrist and try and oppose the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because they were too proud to humble themselves and read the Bible and believe it for what it says. Here in First Chronicles 12. And I went to 2 Chronicles, bear with me. First Chronicles 12 and verse 32, it says, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So these people had come to David. Verse 31 says, half the tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name, to come and make David king. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. All their brethren were at their commandment. As one, with one heart and one mind, the tribe of Issachar came to make David king with 200 of their brethren as captains, but they were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. As true it is, as it is that God wants you to be comforted by understanding the end times, God wants you to understand the end times. That take the mysteries and the doubts, the clouding out of the word of God. Daniel in the Bible was a dissolver of doubts, understanding hard sentences. God wants you to have your doubts dissolved. God does not want you walking around in a fog about the end times. He wants you to understand it. If God wants you to be comforted by it, he wants you to understand it. We noted yesterday, or not yesterday, but in the last lesson, we noted that comfort is simple, Comfort is sure that comfort is not something that is um, hard to understand. Comfort's very easy to grasp. And so if God wants to comfort you with the end times theologies of the Bible, then we must necessarily understand and agree that the end times theologies of the Bible are very simple and very sure, and they are. The reason this is such a battleground is because the devil doesn't want you to understand it and the big comp- and the big bookstores and the big book writers and the book big book sellers and the big seminaries want you to think that you've got to pay them big bucks and sit at their footstool to learn these things and God just wants you to go to the Bible. We talk about revival in this land, and how much we need revival. Revival will come when God's people shut the TV off, they shut YouTube off, they turn the internet off, and they get their phone and they throw it off into the corner somewhere, and they get alone with God and an old-fashioned authorized version Bible and read it until God changes them, and then we'll have revival in this land. Once we drop all the junk, all the garbage, all the extras, all the bells and whistles, all the thrills and chills, and get back to what God says, we'll have revival. Now, here in Matthew 16 and verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Oh, brother, they come up to him, oh, Jesus, master Jesus, which they were lying when they called him master, when they called him rabbi, that was all deception. They come up, rabbi, rabbi, tell us about the next blood moon. Tell us when the next sign from heaven is going to come. By the way, the word of God says, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven as the he are. It says to learn not the ways of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Don't be staring at the astrology charts. Don't be staring at the blood moons. Don't be staring at the stars in the sky and looking at all of our religious so-called Christian astrologers out here with their chantings and their divinations and their false hope and their false prophecies. Get back to the Bible. The Pharisees come and say show us a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them when it is "'Evening ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red.' and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering they're rubbing their hands together he's talking about the sky he's talking about colors boy that sells good we might get a book out of this thing or we'll kill him. one or the other we're either going to get rich or kill him, because we've got signs coming we've got signs and he says in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering oh ye hypocrites there goes the book sales you can discern the face of the sky but can ye not discern the signs of the times a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas and he left them and departed but here Jesus Christ introduces to us the idea of the signs of the times and he says here these are things that you should be able to see not signs of the heavens we're not talking about solar eclipses lunar eclipses We're not talking about planetary eclipses. We're not talking about a comet. We're not talking about the star of Christ in the east. He's saying there are signs of the times. You ought to be able to understand by the times that you're living in, when you're living in, and what's coming next. He says, can't you understand that as the signs of the times? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, that fledgling church, that beginner church, that basic church, that jumpstart church Paul wrote to and said, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. They got it. A brand new baby church with no Bible school education got the signs of the times. And now Paul was able to comfort them because they had the signs of the times figured out. So we're going to look at this in the Bible today. We're going to look at the times and the seasons as it says here, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need to that I write unto you because of a lot of us are such good Christians and have been Christians so long that we don't understand how to understand the signs of the times anymore. And we've gotten it so muddied that we need someone to write to us and tell us about the signs of the times and of the seasons. So let's get into that. Let's look at the times first and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bless your word and strengthen us, give us understanding, glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I marvel at your word and the wisdom of your word. I, who am an unworthy, unprofitable servant, Lord God, and have no right to claim any kind of knowledge or wisdom other than that which is readily available in your word. Lord, I am grateful to you, and I worship you, and I praise you for the privilege of opening your word and preaching your word. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for you've chosen this base, this foolish thing to show your wisdom and your knowledge in. And I'm grateful, Father, for the privilege and humbled, Father. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery... As I wrote afore, in few words, how that by revelation or whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. Now here Paul introduces you to the big subject of dispensations, which you need the only the little bit the Bible has to say about it to really comprehend one of the worst things that you can do is go and get a good old big. Book by Charles Ryrie called Dispensationalism and try and read it. And by the way, he's a pretty good he had a pretty good handle on it as far as I could get when I started to read it, but I couldn't even make it through the book because it was dead cold letter killing death. And that's nothing against Charles Ryrie. That's just the fact that we need to get back to the Bible. Get back to the Bible. Brother Ryrie probably had some good things to say, and there's some of you out there that might have gleaned some good things out of it. But we've got to get back to the Bible and stop arguing all of these theories that men come up with. Now, Here, he says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. This is really, really simple. The Bible just told you, look up here, the Bible just told you that in other ages, men could not understand the truths that we understand now. This is something that people often call progressive revelation, that God has revealed more truth about himself throughout the ages at different times. That does not mean that God has changed because he hasn't. God has never changed, but God has changed the amount of revelation available to man, and this is obvious, and anybody that wants to argue this is just a, is probably a fool, and they're probably trying to waste your time, and we're going to read about them later when we get to Peter and talk about scoffers, because God's clear in his word, and if you read the Bible, it's patently obvious that Abraham didn't have the book of Matthew. We shouldn't have to have an argument about that, right? Is that pretty plain? Daniel did not get to read the book of John or the book of Romans. Now that doesn't mean that they had a different God or a different way of getting saved or anything like that. So all of you out there that want to preach that fruitcake false gospel for the Old Testament, you need to trash that and get back to the word of God. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith, and the Bible teaches The Bible teaches in Romans that Abraham is the father of faith to all them that believe. That may be tied in with Galatians, but Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Noah found grace. In the eyes of God, there has never been any other way to be saved than through grace, by grace, through faith. That is the only way. Now, the expression of the outworking of faith of believing God has been different in different ages. A Jew who believed God would show that he believed God by taking sacrifices to the temple. And if he didn't obey God and take sacrifices to the temple and despise the law of God, it was proof he did not believe God. God. So the outward manifestation of the works of faith has changed, but faith at the root is what God has always required. The just shall live by faith. And that phrase is first said in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. So here we have a dispensation, a, which is just means, all right, if I had a bag of candy, I could dispense it to you. And I could give 10 to you, and 10 to you, and 10 to you, and 20 to you, and 20 to you, and 40 to you, and 50 to you, and 60 to you, if that's what I wanted to do. And that would be dispensing it. All this means is that as God dispensed time, that God is in control of time, that God is not only the author of time, the creator of time, but he's the controller of time, and that the times and the seasons are in his hand. In fact, there's a verse. I didn't get it written down. I wish I had written it in. Jesus said, um, spoke of something that, that, that that he said is not even known to the son, but to the father who has control of it, speaking of a time, of a specific time that was coming. I didn't look up that verse. You can look it up if you can find it. So here we have the dispensation of the fullness of times. Back in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. <clears throat> so you would say, are you a dispensationalist? And I would say, I'm a, I believe the Bible that's what I am. I believe the Bible, and the Bible talks about dispensations, and I believe what the Bible says about dispensations. I don't believe what all your little groups and subgroups and schisms and doubtful disputations say about dispensations, but I believe what the Bible says about it, that God has dispensed the times. Jesus talked about the signs of the times, and the fact that there are different times is obvious throughout the Bible. Here in chapter 3, in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body body and partakers of the promise. Now this gives us, and that promise is in Christ by the gospel, this gives us the age that we are in. A time is equivalent to an age. A time is a moment from a certain point in a clock on a day to another certain point on a clock in a day. And an age is the exact same thing. So the times and the ages. And this gives us the understanding that what we are in today is this time that the Gentiles, This is our time today, present tense, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now this fellowship is going to tie into a body that we're about to see here in verse 10. So here is what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So there is a mystery that was hidden God, But now is shown to us, and this mystery has a fellowship in its revelation. Verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this whole chapter three centers and revolves, first of all, around the dispensations of times and secondly, around an entity that was created at a certain time for a certain time. Who's picked up on what that entity is? Have you figured it out yet? Here we are in Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we let's read on in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory he's speaking to somebody the whole time he's speaking to a group who is he speaking to the ephesians but what group of ephesians the whole town no, he's speaking here by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus. And here he's speaking to these, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and to the and that there's this fellowship and that these things might be made known by the church. And he's saying this to the church at Ephesus. Have you figured out the group or the entity that this time is revolving around that God has dispensed this time too? The church, thank you. The church is the group, the entity that Christ has dispensed this time to. So we have a dispensation of times, a giving of times. God has given, listen to me, this is what dispensations are all about. God has given a time. God has given an opportunity, God has given an open door, God has given a fellowship, God has given revelation, God has given a commission to a group, to an entity that he has commissioned, and that group that he has commissioned and dispensed this time to is the church. It says here, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named... So here's this family, which we've talked about just previously, as the church, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, Ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So the logical base, listen to me, the Bible's logical. If you take it literally and logically and ask God for wisdom to fill in your gaps in human understanding, it all opens up. Here these ages will be our manifested in the church and then he says world without end so here these ages at this point he's talking about glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages so this church then is the culmination the the fullness of times that he talked about in chapter 1 and verse 10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him so in Jesus Christ The church, do you hear me today, is in the dispensation of the fullness of times. We're there. We're in these times, in the dispensation of the fullness of times. As God finishes up the ages, (coughs) as God wraps up the ages... There's another age to come. We'll look at that in just a second. Um, here are these last days that we, we talk about this as the church age, and this is why. Because it's an age that has been dispensed to the church. The, did you know that the church is the highest authority on earth right now? Now that would blow all, a lot of people's minds, but it is. And I'm not talking about the Catholic church. They obviously are not. But <clears throat> Jesus said to his church, Whatsoever you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the church of Jesus Christ is the highest authority on earth right now. Now, the earth does not recognize the church as the highest authority. And therefore, the earth persecutes the church because the earth says we will not have this man to reign over us. But Jesus Christ will come and put all enemies under his feet. And then the saints will rule and reign with God as God intended. So in the meantime, God has told us to turn the other cheek. God has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. God has told us to extend grace to this lost and dying world right now. But the day will come when the time of grace is over, and the church will reign and rule with Christ, and he will rule with a rod of iron. Second Peter chapter three. Go there quickly. Actually, let's start in Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. It's just a few pages over from where we're at in First Thessalonians. Second Peter chapter 3 here. <clears throat> this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Again, we're looking at the times and the seasons. So he says in the last days, perilous times shall come. We're going to look at some of the signs of the times here. And if you can't figure out what time we're in, you need some serious help. Or you're just not even saved and you work for the devil and you're trying to sow disinformation in the church. And there's a whole lot of that going on out there today. So here in 2 Timothy three one, he says, Perilous times shall come in the last days here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce break- breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And he goes on and on for, he said, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. Have we ever seen such a day of adultery, of disobedience to parents, of unthankfulness, of unholiness, of lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is where your seminaries fit in the Bible right here. This is what they're for. These seminaries are for Janice and Jambres who withstood Moses. Seminaries, are for the bunch of brainy intellectuals who will not submit themselves to the word of God, so instead they have to go find a human hierarchy and a human theology so that they can lord it over other people and act like they're better than everybody else. Again, there are some good Christians who have survived seminaries, but they are few and far between. One good man calls seminaries cemeteries, where good Christians go to die. Very true, very right. Now, as Janice and Jambres withstood motherhood, Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, unto all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What is the answer that he gives in these last times? Is it more Bible schools? Is it more commentaries? Is it more theologians? He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Hallelujah. The word of God is the answer to it all. But in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Go to 1st Timothy, or let's see, 1st Timothy 4, chapter 1. So there we saw that men will be given over to um, le- um, all kinds of lusts, which is also, that ties in with 2nd um, Peter 3, 3. We'll get there in a second. First Peter, boy, I'm tangled up. Sorry, my notes are kinda of scrambled here. First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now if you have given heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and seared your conscience with a hot iron, and you're speaking lies and hypocrisy, you're not going to be able to see what the times and the seasons, because you're going to fit right into them, and it's awful hard whenever you're the one condemned to condemn yourself. He says forbid, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received so here we've got the catholics and the hebrew roots the catholics forbidding to marry the hebrew roots commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereinto thou hast attained. So again, he takes them back to the words of Jesus Christ, um, the words of faith and of good doctrine, wherein thou hast attained. Again, the answer being the Holy Scriptures. So we have um, there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, lusts, and here in 2 Timothy 3, we have license. Or in 2 Timothy 4, we have legalism. Second. Timothy 3, we have license. Go back a couple pages there, or 1. I may have the wrong reference again. Second Timothy 3, 1. That's the one that we read. I apologize for this mix-up. 4, 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3. I'll get, we'll break it down once we get through this and get the references in case you're taking notes. Second Timothy four, three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What's the answer here? He charges Timothy before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Again, the kingdom has not come yet. The kingdom is in the future. All these kingdom now people, the real reason for kingdom now theology is to dispensationalize away all of scripture and say it doesn't apply to me and I'm some kind of a demigod that has some kind of extra biblical revelation and understanding. It's a bunch of trash and a bunch of hogwash. If you want to say the kingdom of God is now in its full expression, then you can readily throw out the entire Bible. None of it applies directly to me. It's a historical figure piece. Now my own mind is my Bible. That's the whole ploy, the whole gimmick behind that trash. He says here, the quick, Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The answer is the word, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will go and listen to anybody talk about anything. But if a real preacher gets up and preaches the real word of God with the anointing of God on him, they will flee like roaches when the light comes on. They'll go listen to some woman with a dyke haircut talk about your best life now with Olsteen's smiley face down there, and but they won't listen to the word of God. They'll go to a prophecy conference and get fleeced for thousands of dollars by false prophets who every other word they say out of their mouth is a blatant lie, and they but they won't come down to an old country church on the back lane, backside of a mountain and listen to a slobbering, spitting mountain preacher. preach the truth with the power of God on him. And I've been to those churches and I've seen those preachers preach and I've listened in awe. Well, God moved and looked around at 20 people sitting there and in the big city down at the foothills of the mountains, you can go to a big conference and watch some guy in his $15,000 suit fly in on a $300,000 Learjet and smack somebody on the head and they fall over backwards. The guy goes home to his harem and you send him $15,000 and you and your hundreds of thousands of people go flocking to watch him smack people on the forehead. Oh, Benny Hinn and his crowd and that whole mess. Listen to me. The time has come. He said the time will come. I'm telling you the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We are there. (coughs) But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. What does he tell Timothy? He sandwiches this thing with preach the word. And in verse 5, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Get out there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of it all. Hallelujah. So we have lusts, we have license, we have legalism. Go to Second Peter three three. That legalism comes in there where they um, <coughs> um, command you to abstain from marriage and from meats. Second <coughs> Peter three three. Get this here. If you can't see the times yet, I'm telling you, you got your blind. You're blinded. Second Peter three, three, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days. There it is again, those last days. We need some men with understanding of the times. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So these men are promulgating a theory of evolution that depends on the idea of, and I forget the big name of it and I don't really care, but the idea that everything is always continuing. What's that theory called? I can't remember it who cares Anyway, they say all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. They choose to not believe God created the earth and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So they won't believe in the creation and they won't believe in the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which were now, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly. Godly men. And they don't believe in the judgment coming. They don't believe that God created the world. They believe in evolution or some other kind of perversion. They don't believe that the, the, the literal flood happened and that God overflowed the earth with water. They believe in a meteor strike. They believe the aliens came to earth in UFOs and abducted the dinosaurs. They'll believe anything but the flood. Anything but a literal Noah's flood and a literal creation. Anything. And then they refuse to believe the coming judgment of God. But he says in verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We're going to get to this, Lord willing, tomorrow, or the next lesson, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervor, Heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, this day of God, we're going to look at this in a lot more detail in the coming days, Lord willing. If the Lord tarries and gives us the opportunity. He says, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So these men who have understanding of the times, knowing what Israel ought to do, if you're one of these in our day and age, in the church age that knows what the church ought to do, then you know that we ought to be looking for Christ's coming, looking for the day of the Lord that we may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. We ought to be purifying ourselves, even as he is pure. Go to First Corinthians 15 quickly. We have um, here where it's going to say, then cometh the end tells us there's something else yet to come. We are living in the dispensation of the fullness of times according to the word of God. And this is also known as the church age, which is not written out verbatim like that in the Bible, but we can put the pieces together to come up with that explanation. Explanation that this is the church age. Which age are we in? The church age, a human name for a God-given doctrine. So the church age in the Bible is what we are in, First Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming, then come at the end. So here you have Christ resurrected, then you have Christ's at his coming, then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Now you can see that in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 19, we'll go there real quick, hold your place in 1 Corinthians, we'll see how far we get today, we haven't even covered, um, well we're about two thirds through, we might get through today, we'll see. So Revelation 19, you have the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 20 and verse 5, he says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And you see that in verse 4. I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And there's the thousand-year reign of Christ that is coming. And this is here in verse 24. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, which apparently is the end of the thousand year reign. So what we see here is that Christ, the first fruits, is the first resurrection. The first resurrection started the third day after Christ's death. And it ends in Revelation 20 and verse five. So there's a span so far of over 2,000 years in which the first resurrection exists. How about that? Circuit's blowing. But that's what the Bible teaches here. The first resurrection entails Christ, the first fruits, they that are Christ at his coming, and then the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God. <coughs> for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now we know from the word of God that the dead in Christ will rise when Jesus Christ comes back. And that happens. That's all through the rest of this chapter. It's in first Thessalonians four, as we read. So there's a definite day that the group, that the main group are resurrected. But we've also noted in the other day, when we studied this, that you have many resurrections throughout the Bible, starting with Enoch. Um, He wasn't actually resurrected. He was raptured, so to speak, caught up to meet the Lord, but then you have a man resurrected by Elisha whenever his bones, whenever the man's bones body touches Elisha's bones you have the widow of Nain that Jesus rose her son from the dead and many others like Lazarus who have been raised from the dead and God in his own time, his own purpose in his own way can resurrect whoever he pleases to resurrect. You have the two prophets in Revelation who will be killed and their bodies will lay in the holy city three days and then Christ will resurrect resurrect them from the dead. Some of you probably read that the other day when you were reading Revelation and those two prophets hear a voice from heaven saying, come up and they go up to God. They're, they're bodily resurrected. This has happened many times and will happen again. So this day of Christ here is yet to come. The day of Christ mentioned in the Bible, also the day of the Lord. There's uh, many different references for this thing, and that is yet to come. It's always put as a future time following the age of grace, the church age. We call it sometimes the age of grace, but the reality is that grace is the only thing that God's ever given and the only way that anyone's ever been And saved is through grace. You see, you can go to seed on any one of these doctrinal points and make it your big thing and exclude all other balancing scriptures. And you end up being off balance and eventually heretical. Some of you out there saying, yeah, you sound like a covenant theologian right now. You say everyone was only ever saved by grace. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There's only ever been salvation by faith through grace. That's the only way anybody's ever been saved. But there's also two testaments, an old and a new. There's a, there's a better covenant, the Bible says, established on better promises. You got to take the whole Bible. You have to take the whole thing. You can't just take one thing out of it and then build your doctrine around your one thing with the rest of your own ideas. You have to take the whole Bible. So we have this post-church age. Go to Second Thessalonians 2 and chapter 1 quickly. Now, we're just going to blitz through this in 2 Thessalonians, Lord willing, we'll study it in more detail in the near future, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So they had some jokers running around back then. They had scholastic theologians running around. They had a... A bunch of covenant theologians running around. They had a bunch of kingdom now theologians running around back then saying, The day of the Lord is at hand. It's already come. We are living in the kingdom. It's kingdom now. That's what they're saying. The day of Christ is at hand. It's now. Kingdom now. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So that's the Antichrist, the beast, the man of sin the son of perdition. Verse four, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is your abomination of desolation in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. We'll study this more whenever we get here. This is the revelation of the Antichrist. They're saying, listen, the day of Christ will not come until the Antichrist comes. You're not going to have Christ's kingdom on earth until the Antichrist has a shot at it. That's, just bible. Now you can twist it all you want and make a mess out of your own theology and everybody else that you talk to, but the Bible's still the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar, verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things and now ye know what withhold. Do you see this? When Paul was still with the Thessalonians church, he told them, this is advanced theology for most people in our age. Most people think eschatology is like, that's like the last lesson. You're supposed to start with tithing and coming to church regularly and wearing the right kind of clothes and getting involved in the bus ministry or sitting at nursing home or, or sitting in the nursery or going to nursing home. You're supposed to go to the training union, etc. Paul started with eschatology. Isn't that amazing? That's because it's simple. It's child stuff. It's supposed to comfort you. It's supposed to be basic. It's amazing, absolutely amazing to me how, how we reveal our childishness in our day. <clears throat> we haven't even grasped the very basic starting theology that Paul began with after he taught Christ to the Thessalonican church. And we sit around going to prophecy conferences and thinking that we're so high-minded because uh, we figured out that a locust was really a helicopter. What a bunch of rot. Lord, have mercy on us. He says here, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Something's holding back the Antichrist, and he's going to be revealed, but there's something holding him back. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. So that let, in the old use of the word let, means to prevent, to keep from happening. It means to not let the way that we use let today. We would have to put a not before that. He that now will not let will not let (coughs) would be how we would say it because we've changed the use of that word over the last 150 years. So here he's, there's a mystery of iniquity that's already at work. The mystery of the iniquity has to do with the revelation of the man of sin. And it says only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So there is someone in the way. Someone who was in the way when Paul wrote, and someone who is still in the way, or the man of sin would be revealed, and we're, and we're going on 2,000 years, and there's only one someone who lives more than 120 years in our day and age, and that's Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. This here is speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of the Son, Jesus Christ, sent into the world that is keeping the man of sin from coming out of the closet and showing the world his true nature it says uh, until he be taken out of the way so there will be a day that he that letteth is taken out of the way and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his wonder of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders All you looking for signs and wonders, you're going to get them when the Antichrist comes on the scene, because he's loaded with them. And you aren't reading your Bible, you're too busy with your prophecy conferences, and you're going to get your signs and wonders, and you're going to go all pandering after the Antichrist, kissing his feet and bowing down to the beast, kissing the image of the beast, taking the number of the Antichrist. You say, I would never take that. Yeah, right, you already do. You've already got his junk all over your house. And Every time you go to these dumb prophecy conferences out here, full of all their lying prophets you're getting full of the doctrine of the beast it says and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume so when he is taken away that's the Holy Spirit now the church age began when Jesus Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost now the new covenant began at John the Baptist the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John so don't give me this stuff that it's the Old Testament till Acts 8 that's trash and all this other stuff. It's Old Testament until Acts 2. Why do we have to reinvent the wheel? God already divided the times. You have an old covenant and a new covenant established on better promises, and the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John. It's over now. John came. Jesus brought grace and truth, the Bible says. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ in John chapter 1. So Jesus Christ has ushered in the new covenant. And during the time of the new covenant, he has launched the church age with the giving of the Holy Spirit of God, the promise of the father, which ye have heard of him. He said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. This is he who letteth. This is he who is holding back the man of sin. Pay attention today. When Jesus Christ comes back for his church, The body of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, is in his church. So the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ in this world, of the Holy Spirit in this world, is the church. Some of you just lost it again. The physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God in this world today is the church. Anointed, empowered, washed, filled, and working for Christ, preaching the gospel, following Jesus, keeping his commandments. This is the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Whenever Christ takes his body out of the world, he is removed from the world, takes the church out of the world. the man of sin will be revealed. That is what is letting. As long as the church exists on the earth, the antichrist cannot be revealed. The reality is, until the church is taken out, the Antichrist is not going to be revealed. Paul is saying, don't let anybody deceive you. But this is a really heavy topic. We'll have to study that a lot more, Lord willing, when we get there. Think about that. When the church pulls out, the Holy Spirit pulls out. When God takes out his bride, the Holy Spirit goes out with him, and that's what's going to allow the devil and his horde, because right now the church is the greatest authority on earth, not the devil. And Jesus said that whatsoever the church binds on earth will be bound in heaven. He said that no man can spoil the strong man's goods except he first bind the strong man. And you know what the devil keeps doing? He keeps trying to create the tribulation. <clears throat> he keeps trying and trying and trying and every time he does, the church of the living God binds him and he's mad. Someday the church is going out and right at that moment when the church could have bound him, God will take the church out and the devil will have his way with this world for seven years. That's what's coming. We'll have a whole lot more to study to back this up. We're out of time. Amazing. this That's the post-church age. We didn't even get... All right, we've got so much here. All of Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25 teaches this, aligns this. I just want to give you one thing about Matthew chapter 24, and I'll let you go. Go there real quick. I want to give you the outline of it, and you can study it out for yourself. It's such a big topic. It, should, it would be a series of sermons, <clears throat> or at best, one great big sermon just to try and outline it. Let me give you, and listen, outlines are important, but God gives his own outlines. Let's look at it. Matthew 24, um, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto him, See ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Did you see what he said in verse two? These things. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Verse 3 is your outline. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? There are three main questions that the disciples ask, and Jesus will answer each question. So the first answer is if you read on down, Jesus said, Take heed that no man deceive you. And as you read, read, he'll get to verse six, the end is not yet. And in plain English, every section of Matthew 24 can be outlined if you just take the questions the disciples asked and look for Jesus answering them with the exact key words. The end is not yet. So he starts at the back the end of the world, and he gives us the discourse on the end of the world from verse 4 down through verse 22. In verse 23, he answers of Christ's coming. Then if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ there, believe it not... So he says, then he says, for there shall arise false Christs. And he talks about the coming of Christ. And in that he alludes to the rapture as being part. Remember the coming of Christ is not one earth day. It happens more on there's the coming of Christ through the air for the church and the coming of Christ to the earth. And so that comes up in chapter in verse 23, where he says of his coming, they said, tell us what shall be the sign of that coming. And then when shall these things be? If you go to verse um, 32, it says, now learn a parable of the fig tree and Here he's going to speak of these things. Look at verse 33. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. These things again. And what are these things? The things of the temple being destroyed. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The generation did not pass till all these things were fulfilled. Jesus never said that the sky would turn to um, blackness and that the moon would turn to blood and that the earth would be burnt up and the elements um, melt with a fervent heat before that generation passed. So just lay your head to rest at that. Theologians make a mess of this thing. And then we have, and then he goes back and begins to teach beyond it. He answers their three questions and then he gets to that day in verse 36, the day of the Lord. In verse 42 he gives warnings to be ready for Christ's coming. Verse 25 Five Kingdom Parables. Maybe someday we'll study it. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It dissolves doubts. Matthew is the kingdom gospel. It focuses on the kingdom more than any other gospel. There are other passages in the other gospels that deal with Christ's, what they call the Olivet discourse, where he talked about the end times, but none of them are laid out as plainly and openly and obviously as the one in Matthew, where it's literally outlined for you by God himself and Jesus, and even included the keywords to help you rightly divide it. So we're moving on here. Look up your eye. Unto the fields. We didn't even look at seasons. It says in our text, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you the seasons. Jesus said, uh, maybe some. Maybe we'll get into this another time because that gets into Matthew twenty four and the seasons um, and the harvest. At one place, Jesus said, look up your look at. Um, lift up your eyes to the fields which are white already the harvest I butchered that after the harvest comes the gathering of wheat the burning of the chaff Matthew 3 12 Jesus Christ is described by John the Baptist as doing this so the seasons deal with the end gathering of the wheat it deals with the harvest time which is the time that we are in now the harvest of the world that's where we're at now so the times and the seasons this is harvest season when Jesus comes it will be the in gathering and the burning of the chaff and the final judgment, praise the Lord. I don't even know how to shut it down. We're leaving so much undone. But if we start, we'll be another while. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you just take this message and that you'd use it and that you would comfort your people, that you would dissolve doubts, Lord God. Give understanding of hard sentences. Help us to get away, Lord God, from all this high theology and just get back to our Bibles. Please give us understanding and wisdom and comfort and joy in the Holy Ghost and help us to get back to work, Lord. This stuff is has been so tangled up, Lord, that it's caught the church uh, and the church is so consumed, Lord, with all their prophecy stuff that, Lord, in general, we have left the harvest fields to stare into the sky, Father God, and we're letting the food rot on the vine. Pray that you'd forgive us and help us to get back to the work that you've called us to in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen.